0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the MomWell Podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome Dr. Nicole Mowbray to the show. Dr. Nicole is a licensed clinical psychologist, niched down in working with maternal mental health, and she's actually one of the members of our MomWell therapy team. I've invited Dr. Nicole on the show today so that you could all get a chance to get to know her a little bit better And so that we could discuss sharing the load of parenting after a baby is born. In this episode, we talk about the role that parental leave has on household labor, the unique pressure that our generation of mothers faces compared to previous generations, and how our mental health plays into sharing the load. Invisible labor and division of labor in the home, I know, is an area that Dr. Nicole is really passionate about, and we talk about it from a variety of different angles today. As you're tuning in, keep in mind that Dr. Nicole serves over 25 states in the US. So if you find that you're really drawn to her and her approach, you can book in a free 15 minute consultation with her at momwell.com. Let's hear this week's conversation with Dr. Nicole. Do you ever feel like you just want to hide in a dark, quiet closet? You're not alone. As a mom of three boys, I know what it's like to feel overstimulated, touched out, and easily triggered. Nobody ever told us that motherhood would be so chaotic, that constant touches, noises, and clutter could push us into sensory overload. So when we find ourselves drowning in stimulation, we don't know how to handle it. We end up feeling frustrated, irritated, and angry. And as moms, we often don't get the chance to turn down the noise, walk away, or find a moment to regroup and recharge our batteries. But we don't have to live in constant overload. We can learn skills to manage our own response to the noise, mess, and touch. We can stay calm and grounded so that we can be more present and connected without feeling like we're always in fight or flight mode. On June 9th at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, Dr. Reem, Psyched Mommy, and I are holding a live workshop managing overstimulation in motherhood. You'll learn why you get so overstimulated, how to recognize your triggers, and the simple changes you can make to your environment that can help. We'll also teach you practical tips to keep calm and walk you through your own personalized overstimulation plan so you can manage your reactions in and out of the moment. Can't make it live? No problem. You'll get lifetime access to the recording so you can watch it at your own pace and revisit the workshop whenever you need. It's time to take charge of your senses instead of letting them control you. We only hold a couple of live events a year, so make sure to register today so you don't miss out. Visit momwell.com slash overstimulation to register today. That's momwell.com slash overstimulation. Welcome to the MomWell podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at Momwell, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Dr. Nicole, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. You are one of the therapists on our U.S. side and Mm -hmm. I've had the chance to get to know you over the coming weeks or last past few weeks, however. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited to have you here to share your experience and how you niched down in this field. So thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you so much, Erica. I'm excited to be here.
0: I know how we found each other and you're on Instagram Mm -hmm. and we were expanding our U.S. team, but I'm curious for those who are listening How you came to niche down in this field, I find that there's usually a story there in how we find our way here. So what led you to maternal mental health?
1: Well, yes, surprising to none, there usually is a story or some sort of event that leads us on this path of maternal mental health. Kind of going back to getting into the field in general, I feel fortunate that I was one of those people who knew at a very young age, I wanted to be in the psychology field. Mm -hmm. I like to tell the story. I used to shampoo hair at a local salon and was very surprised at how much people would tell me in the two to three minutes I was with them Mm
0: -hmm. and how
1: sort of fulfilled and much I enjoyed that at 15 years old. And at that point, I said, this is what I'm going to do. So I entered college knowing that that's where I was going. I was going the whole way. So Probably throughout, you know, clinicals in grad school, I went right from undergrad to my doctorate program. We had a program here that allowed that transition without officially getting a master's. Mm -hmm. So I went BA to PsyD right through. And a lot of my clinicals and internships and trainings was really focused around children. I worked a lot with children. You know, I live by one of the most renowned children's hospitals in the U.S. And I had the ability and the opportunity to be placed there for a year working with children with ADHD. So that seemed to be where I was going.
0: Mm -hmm. My
1: dissertation was on children with ADHD. I then worked extensively after getting my doctorate in the Philadelphia School District that seemed to be where life was leading me. I was going to be working with children or adolescents and, you know, really helping supporting them get the resources that they needed. And, you know, probably to no surprise (laughs) to anyone, becoming a mom sort of changed that for me. Mm -hmm. So I became a mom in 2019. And, like a lot of other people, was really rocked by postpartum depression yeah. and postpartum anxiety, which I know similarly, you know, you have a similar story with that. And mm. I didn't know what happened. I felt very confused and very shocked that I had the training and the resources yeah. and the support at home why didn't I know how to cope with this? And so it went on for a while. And I struggled throughout you know, the early infancy, newborn stage. And a lot of that time, I felt sort of betrayed. I felt betrayed by the school. Why weren't we
0: taught this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We never
1: touched on this. We never even addressed perinatal mood disorders.
0: It's mind-blowing to Isn't me. It? The years of education and the clinical sort of like residencies and trainings, mm-hmm. it wasn't until I went through my own experience and was like, what the hell is going on here right. that I learned of postpartum, sport international, and other trainings to niche down in this area. But what a like failure of our education, you know, to not mm-hmm. have this as a highlight in our training.
1: Yes. Yes, Absolutely. And you know, ten years—ten years of my life of schooling and thinking that you know, oh, if something happens to me or I ended up in a situation where I need some support, like I have so many tools and coping skills—and here I was, yeah, feeling so lost. Mm-hmm. And so I started coming out of the weeds of the new mom phase of my life. My daughter was about. Nine months, and I was starting to feel some of that weight lifted off. You know, I started really prioritizing my health and getting back to doing things that felt more like myself before becoming a mom. And, you know, then the pandemic hit Mm. (laughs) and was sort of like a whole new level of anxiety and stress that sort of came into play. And I saw all the moms and parents around me who were dealing with a whole new level of stress. I mean, I had a 10 month old who was learning to walk and I feel fortunate that I was home for those moments. But I'm seeing these parents that are all of a sudden thrown into, you know, teacher, full-time mom, you know, taking care of their house and I just felt like I need to do something. This is where I need to push forward
0: mm-hmm. in my career. It's such like a mind F right now right? as we are on, I guess, the other side of COVID in the sense that mm-hmm. just a couple of days before we were recording this, I think it was the CDC announced that like COVID is officially over. Right. And to think back to that time for new moms, for parents, for mothers, and the things that that revealed about how we perceive a mother's role and how we value their time or don't value their time. Yeah. I know that we in coming today are going to talk about some of those pressures and and leave and, and some of the things I think in the U S particularly to that mom's face just thinking back to like how telling and revealing of a time that was. You know, you've got mm-hmm. partners sort of in their designated office having uninterrupted meetings and then mom right. trying to maintain work with a child crawling like over her shoulders, you know? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a wild time for people to cope through.
1: Totally. It almost feels in some sense like this alternate reality that we went through <laughs> that, yeah. that we're telling someone else's story. But- here we were. And the effects of that sort of surplus of responsibilities and mental load and all of that invisible labor that went on to, you know, primarily moms during that time just was completely eye opening. Mm -hmm. So I think at that point, and I sort of, you know, took a step back to reflect where I wanted to sort of move forward with my career. I took a year-long course. I became certified health and life coach. I took some master courses there to be a transformational health and life coach to just really understand sort of more about the mind-body connection and all areas of wellness that can really impact this time Mm -hmm. for moms. And then you know, still was drawn to working with moms individually in the therapeutic setting. So kind of got yeah. my way back into private practice and came across Momwell, well and yeah. feel like this is sort of one of the first jobs within this field that I really feel like it's truly authentic to where I want to be.
0: I love our team in that they're like mm. so passionate about the work that they do. And we Right now, with the size of our platform, still have the time to interview each person and get to know them, and sort of get a sense for that, mm-hmm. and like passion and a real unique, like story maybe of their own, but not that's not even necessarily a requirement, but just like a passion for this work, right, is so important. I see this work as like so many things: advocacy work, mm-hmm. you know, therapy work. There's so many pieces to it, and it's got me thinking about, so right now I'm working on some back to work resources as we're going to launch some new workshops and mini courses soon Mm -hmm. and how to bridge this back to work transition for moms. And as I started to like research and get down the rabbit hole and and you and I've had a couple of conversations, it's like, When are you going back to work, first of all? And I feel like that has a drastic impact on how you will adjust Mm -hmm. going back. Because in the Toronto area, I had the option of a 12 month or 18 month leave. Now it is a paid leave, it's paid at like a very reduced rate, but it is paid and our job is held. And so there's a lot of like privilege or benefit that comes with that. I was more than ready. To figure out a transition back to work. I couldn't wait to get out of the sort of mundane day-to-day of just being primary caregiver. And when I first started this platform back in 2019, I got a real quick education on the fact that that is not the reality Mm -hmm. for so many mothers and women. So can we talk about this like leave situation a little bit and it's maybe it's impact on adjustment because man, there's so many variables there. Yeah,
1: it's a hot trigger topic for sure in the United States. There is no mandated paid maternity leave or mandated paternity leave at the federal level. Yeah. At the current time, there are states that do have those options and we have FMLA here, which, you know, basically guarantees our job. There's certain criteria that needs to be met, but there is no pay for it. So that's a whole other avenue and like a level of stress and prep that has to be considered during pregnancy or even in the child planning years that right. the decision how many children you know maybe someone wants to have more children but the fact that that's unpaid leave and not to mention the daycare situation and mm-hmm. all of that so it definitely impacts adjustment because quite frankly I would say majority of people take 12 weeks if they can right which isn't always an option or an opportunity but that readiness to go back is really out of necessity versus being truly ready to go back
0: go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Zocdoc.com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Want to get smarter about your health, but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. This is something that comes up a lot is feeling like no choice. Like I don't have autonomy. This isn't a choice. Like I'm doing mm-hmm. this against my will or because I have to. Mm-hmm. And it's a really challenging place to be. Because when we talk about vulnerability factors for postpartum depression and anxiety, for example, we're looking at you know our attitude towards the pregnancy and postpartum period. We're looking at relationship satisfaction, we're looking at stressors and life stressors, like financial stressors and things. It's Mm multi-layered. When we're mothering in a system where even just going into birth at the hospital comes with an invoice, and then your job is not guaranteed, or you're taking unpaid leave, it Comes with so much stress and pressure from like out the gate, like from our very first, you know, step into this role. There's just so much pressure that comes with it.
1: So much pressure. And, you know, it's not just on the mother's end. If we're at this stage for maternity leave, you can imagine what paternity leave looks like. Yeah. In the US as well. So you're sort of entering this under the expectation of how quickly can you get back to work? Yeah. And also you're going to get there without having any sort of husband or spousal support home with you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I imagine that going back to work when you've got a six-week-old, a 10-week-old, a 12-week-old versus like a mm-hmm. six-month-old or a nine-month-old, like just practically speaking. hmm pumping and, you know, a six month old might be on like squishy pouches and some solids and it's less of a demand on you for milk potentially. And so this adjustment back and the time you go back are so like the challenges to each stage, I think are so unique. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, totally. And just the level at which you're sleeping, you know, you probably are just maybe getting some regular sleep and it's okay, well, you're back to work now too. So juggle that on top of that and all of the expectations that go along with being a working mom and managing a household.
0: hmm hmm You had mentioned paternity leave. And it's interesting because here, the leave also is paternity leave. Like either parent can take the option, but the percentage of fathers that take the option, even though it's available to them is a whole other story because mm. how we're socialized and things. Right. So it's interesting that in a culture or environment here where it's available to dads, they very rarely take it. But yeah, maybe that's a whole other conversation in <laughs> for another day. But I'm just thinking through these pressures and it feels like this pressure cooker just, I don't know, doesn't set moms up to like ease into their role, right? Like Mm-mm. it puts big, I don't know, vulnerability factors into play for this transition, which I know that there's a lot of conversation around like, is it postpartum rage or does like society just not support moms or is it depression Mm -hmm. or are we just not supporting new parents and things? And I see how sort of the odds can be stacked against parents and can understand how it can be just such a difficult time.
1: Right. And what comes first is that, you know, sort of these pressures that are perpetuating the rage, and then leading to the postpartum depression. So it's really just sets moms up. And really, like, I don't want to just be specific to moms in this situation. But obviously, that's where a lot of our work is lying within. But it sets up the opportunities to feel as though you're failing in this role right from the get go.
0: Yeah. Talk to me about how moms prepare ahead of time. Like this brings up some conversations with colleagues and girlfriends of mine who live in the US and usually maybe they're in private work or have their own, you know, businesses, but mm-hmm. then we'll take state roles to have certain types of benefits coverage. Like I feel there's a whole pre-level of planning here that is considered and takes place in order to try to ease this transition a little bit more?
1: Yeah, there's an entire thought process that has to go into every sort of decision that's being made. So I know personally, one of the first people who probably knew I was expecting was the director at my daughter's daycare, because I needed to secure a spot Mm -hmm. for my son at three months old to be able to attend. So they're sort of preparing for those challenges, as well as just the financial prep of sort of figuring out what is feasible, spacing out children. How close can we have them? What can we financially afford? Do we have family around who can provide some help and support with childcare, Or are we looking at outsourcing that? And what does that look like financially mm-hmm. for us? let alone getting in and having access to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel for the new parents or parents in general who don't have family support around or other support that they can really look to during that time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of a statistic I saw the other day prepping for some of these resources that said like in the 70s, only 45% of mothers worked out of the home. And now it's like, 76 or 78%. Right. So when we look at generations before us and wonder, like, how they carried it all or how they did it all, the reality is that many of them didn't have to. They didn't have the pressure of trying to, like, hold a career while also being expected to be the, like, primary default parent to their child. Mm -hmm. Right. I feel like the traditional sort of gender role of being that primary parent has stuck while also we've adopted full-time roles or demanding roles whether full-time or not outside of the home and nothing has sort of recalibrated within the home right I say nothing but like there's been sub movement but not nearly enough towards like equality in the home right and so our parents, like they parented in a different climate with different expectations, you know?
1: I think parenting in general, the term, what did that mean 40, 50 years ago? It was the level and the depth that we view that term and everything that goes along with it is a lot different these days. And even the concept of maternity leave, that's such a hot topic in present day when to working individuals in the home is so prevalent, but it's something like my mom didn't understand because she wasn't working outside of the home. So that transition back to being a working mom didn't really land, it wasn't something to relate to. And you know, we are parenting under so many different pressures these days we have access to so much information that our parents did not have access to. And in a lot of ways, it's so beneficial to have that. But we're sort of in this information overload state that can cause a whole other level of confusion or anxiety too. Mm -hmm. Not to mention social media on top of it.
0: Yeah, I see that. I think that there are these like societal pressures. There are these internalized pressures that we carry. Mm -hmm. And there's so much information, as you said, it kind of feels like it comes from all angles. And it really is a perfect storm for an invisible load that brings us to burnout, right? Like it's when pressures are coming at us from all areas, it eventually becomes so much that it's hard to carry. And When we're talking the invisible load and the pressures, whether it's like in the planning to go back to work phase or the finding childcare or in the transitioning back to work and dividing out of the household responsibilities, like how can we work towards a more free form of motherhood? You know, like the pressures are there, but I think that some of them I say are optional, but I don't mean that in like a way that is light handed or like, I think that we think we have to carry them, but some we don't. And I'm curious, like how can we relieve the pressure off the valve a little bit and and recalibrate?
1: So I think it's important sort of going back to basics, you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, thousands of years ago, when you think about parenting and motherhood, we had that village. Mm -hmm. We were parenting in communities. We were, you know, having communal meals And older siblings were helping with younger siblings. And now we have sort of this idea of small nuclear families in these homes that are both working and away from family that the expectations and the societal norms have changed, but like our capabilities aren't really different. We still need that community Mm -hmm. and we still need the village. So, you know, one thing that I you know, before sort of addressing how to do that within the home and everything is really finding those resources. And if you have the opportunity to outsource and ask for help with any aspect, especially during that newborn phase that you can, Mm -hmm. um, I think is so key and surrounding yourself with like-minded people who are sort of going through this experience with you to really normalize what's going on. So that's sort of like one piece that I like to talk about there.
0: I think that's important because we weren't meant to parent in a silo alone. You know, like that's not Mm -mm. how people have done it for centuries. And it's sort of like a cruel form of punishment to think that we have to. And, And there's a sensitive piece here where some of us have to, not by our own choice, because we've got like a estranged family, or we've right. relocated, or are deployed, or moved for work and things. And I'm in a boat where we've got very little to no support in the day to day, and that has been extremely challenging, with especially when the boys were really little and all kind of in intense sort of dependent phases. Mm -hmm. but we opted to try and find some affordable childcare to ease some of the, like any of the supports we have essentially become supports that we have paid for and put in place. And there was times where that was very minimal because I was reduced income and off of work. and, Mm -hmm. And there are times when we're back in our career and that might seem more feasible, but sometimes that is the only support, or then there's the community of our mom friends and our chosen family and our Mm -hmm. chosen people as well.
1: Definitely. I think it's important in whatever capacity to ask for help without feeling as though you need to owe someone in return Mm -hmm. and pay that back, especially during that phase with young kids and easing back into working.
0: Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed. But the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Ashirina Reem psyched Mummy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes. And we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create all the rage, Raising Kids with Less Anger and More Connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo Rage 20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com slash rage and save with code rage20. That's momwell.com slash rage code rage20. how can we, I say redistribute or share or like bring our partner into this invisible load? Because I feel like we don't even know how to name it sometimes or the pressure that we're under. And this is why our invisible load posts do so well on the feed because Mm -hmm. the responses are like, oh my gosh, this is it. I had no idea that It was all of this, you know? Right. So inviting our partners in to share in a load that we have a hard time articulating is really difficult, right?
1: It is. And, you know, the challenge with the invisible load, of course, is that it isn't visible. So how do we sort of make it visible? And I think ongoing communication with our partner Around the concept of time Hmm. and how each person's time needs to be valued. And, you know, we both have the same amount of time. So, how can we make this distributed more fairly or that we're each sort of feeling as though we're not underwater with all the tasks that have to be done? You know, I think it's an ongoing discussion and checking in. And mutually establishing together where the non-negotiables are. Mm -hmm. What are the things that absolutely need to be done? And what are some things that we can let go when we're in this season?
0: Mm -hmm. Those, I say like, air quotes like optional ones where Mm -hmm. maybe they're not urgent or they don't need to be done today or they don't need to be done to the standard at which we're expecting ourselves to do them right and there's like a path of ease we could choose instead of like a path of perfection Mm -hmm. but one of the things that you mentioned about time that really comes up with clients is this feeling like we need to protect our partner's time because they're the ones that are working outside of the home or they're the ones that are getting Mm -hmm. up for work so we've got to get up for all the night feeds. So this concept of not seeing our own time as on equal footing Mm -hmm. comes up a lot. And not even that we intentionally recognize it as that, right? Like it's this belief that is just operating in the background.
1: Yeah. Or that we can just multitask to the point of, you know, making everything work in the household without asking for help because, we're better at it than than our partner is just such a huge misconception.
0: Yeah, lean into that a little bit more for me because I do hear that like, oh, but I'm a better multitasker or I'm better at managing this. And I think that we're socialized to have more practice in these areas, you know?
1: <laughs> well, I think in a lot of ways, we feel as though we don't have a choice. Yeah. We have to wear that hat in the household. Some of us may feel as though, We don't trust our partner to complete a task from start to finish and be able to remember all the components that go along with that. And in a lot of ways, I think we have to sort of taper our expectations. It's not a one-time conversation. It's an ongoing collaboration of establishing the values in the household and the level to which we want things to flow and how we want it to work to the point that we're both able to get what we need and feel supported along the way Mm -hmm. and that everyone's sort of happy.
0: Yeah. It is that we're expected to carry these things or we're expected to be good at this role. I was actually just having a conversation with somebody about this where as somebody who was diagnosed with ADHD in like my thirties, and this is a really common experience in motherhood for people because The executive functioning to carry myself as an adult through my life was there. That's even debatable. And then enter motherhood, caring for three children. And everything about the societal expectations for this role is that this should come easily to me and I should be able to have, Mm -hmm. you know, things in tip top shape and be able to pack the diaper bag and not forget things and to be able to do all of these things. Mm -hmm. And then Getting in this role and realizing, like, wait a minute, like, I'm really struggling with this. So, I think that we've been expected to do it. So, we are potentially better at it. Mm -hmm. And then there are those who maybe are neurodivergent or who struggle with their mental health and ebbs and flows in their capacity with their mental health who maybe even like struggled to be good at it or to be functional in those areas. And Like, again, when we talk about the pressures that set us up to feel like we're failing, it's one of those things where these expectations have set me up to fail, you know, from the beginning. And Mm -hmm. I think that once I realized that and I realized that, wait a minute, I don't have to carry all of these things by myself. Like, where did I get that message that I had to? Right. And I diversified the tasks with my partner. We both became more confident and more successful in our roles.
1: Right. Because like you said, we're sort of set up this way from the get-go. So we enter motherhood under these assumptions that we have to do it all. That's our role. Mm -hmm. You know, that it's innate. We'll have that motherly instinct to know everyone's needs and be able to anticipate them from the second that baby is placed in our arms. And then as fathers, they're under the assumption that, They must lean into sort of that like lead parent to make those decisions before they can sort of assume any level of responsibility on a task. So Mm -hmm. it really doesn't work in anyone's favor because it's not allowing fathers or the other partners to sort of own their role within the home.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the pressures to like work and provide and maybe throw themselves into things that are outside of the home in order to provide for the home and not necessarily show up in the home in the way that we desperately feel like we need them to if we're drowning in our own experience, right? Right. Yeah, all of these pressures make motherhood feel difficult. And I Mm -hmm. think that it is important for us to acknowledge these pressures and to put some language to them to say that the context in which you're mothering is difficult and is hard. And it's not because you are not doing it right. Mm -hmm. Because what I see happening is feeling like we're failing, internalizing this as not being good enough, feeling like I have to do better in the morning or I have to do more and be more and perform more in this role that, I don't know, it gets internalized. So part of acknowledging these pressures in the context in which we're mothering is to say like, hey, wait a minute, This is difficult and for a lot of different reasons. And it's not because you're doing it wrong, you know?
1: Yeah, I think so often we take on those pressures and feel like any decision we make or decision not to make, for instance, like maybe we don't do the uh, family photos every season or we don't do signing our children up for every sport or activity. Like all of these decisions is sort of this reflection on our parenthood and how good of a mother or father we are. So I think we're sort of having to really gear down and understand where the needs are and what serves our family during those times.
0: Mm -hmm. I'd love it if we wrap up with maybe some of the areas that we felt pressure that we decided to like opt out of, you know, because I can think of so many pressures that I felt originally that I had to rise to and perform excellent in that I've been able to let go of throughout this journey. Mm -hmm. One of those things for me is my house and the state of my house. I have separated it as being a reflection of me in my role and my worth. And have seen the house as, and this comes a lot from Casey Davis's work, Domestic Blisters, Mm -hmm. as something that is meant to serve me and my family. And I'm not like a slave to the house and, and its needs, but it serves our purpose and like our family's purpose. So that's been a big one. And so I've let that go and being uptight about that. And so it gets messy sometimes and it goes in cycles and then we clean it up and whatever. I'll think about some others for me, but how about you? What comes to mind?
1: My house is definitely one of those for me as well. Recognizing I have two small kids, so it's not going to be the Pinterest perfect house. It looks like two small children live here. So it's letting go of that expectation. I think I've really learned to say no to some things that just don't serve me. I I, I mentioned it earlier, but like the curated family photos, like that is just something that I would love I would love to be planned for. I would love to have the outfits. And I recognize that it's not something that I prioritize the time to get together at this point. And that's okay.
0: hmm I think another one for me is I've learned the ability to recognize what is somebody else's values of their experience of motherhood and what is mine. Mm-hmm. Because I think that in this role, a lot of the pressure comes from feeling the need to please others around us and to live Mm -hmm. up to their expectations for us in this role. Mm -hmm. But when I identified, wait a minute, like they're operating from a completely different set of values than I am. And that works for them and their family. That's great. No judgment. Mm -hmm. Like we're different people, but I don't have to pick up that expectation and place it on myself because I frankly don't care about that, you know, for Mm -hmm. us personally. And that has been so freeing. Like, I don't have to like home cook meals from scratch. And I have a, uh, like, my maid of honor was totally like, would bake pies for fun and like loves it. Right. I will uber eats or like, I will do anything (laughs) to get out of making a meal. And right. That doesn't make me a bad mom. Like, that has zero impact on how I'm parenting and, you know, interacting with my children.
1: Everyone's fed. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. Sometimes it's cereal for dinner if that's what works. So I think, yeah, those types of things I've had to let go of as well when trying to really prioritize what was making me happy mm-hmm. in my current lifestyle. Like I let my daughter pick what she wants to wear in the morning. Yeah. It may not match at all, but that's just sort of where I've chosen to not spend the time and energy and worrying if other people are looking at maybe what she's wearing and saying, like, who dressed her this morning? So there's just sort of little things that yeah. I've had to let go of.
0: And for us, even another one is like lunches Mm -hmm. for school. And I used to do this to myself and follow pages that would just make me feel like crap of all these like perfectly little starred like things for lunch. And my kids won't even eat it and it'll come home every day. So now I'll just pack (laughs) whatever they'll eat. And so it's not to place judgment on the fact that people who do these things are bad in any way or if that's what you're passionate about and you love to do it, all the power to you. But when it feels like pulling teeth for you, it's not rewarding. It adds more pressure and Mm -hmm. your kids aren't even eating the stinking things that you took the time to prepare anyways. Then I think that those are some of those optional or on the fringe outside pressures that we can start to let go of to preserve our energy for things that are maybe more important or more of those kind of deal breaker items.
1: Definitely. And remembering that we're sort of influenced by so much of what we're seeing on social media. We have this sort of excessive amount of insight into snapshots of people's lives Mm -hmm. and sort of not letting that guide how we make our parenting decisions or choices or what we decide is negotiables or non-negotiables in our life and really coming from a place of what feels truly authentic and manageable for our situation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So I was going to say, where are you hanging out online these days? Where can people contact you? But you are one of our U.S. mom therapists that serves like 25 states yes. of which they can click through to learn more about how to book in a free consult with you. And some of the areas I know that you're really passionate about are this invisible labor and how to divide out this load. And what, mm-hmm. how about any other interests for those who might be looking to book in with you? What other sort of niche areas do you focus on?
1: I really love working with moms who are currently pregnant also to help ease that transition and prep for, for motherhood and also the transition into motherhood, as well as the impacts it has on the relationships there.
0: Yeah. So to book with you, they can click on over to MomWell on our team page and find your bio. And uh, how about online, on Instagram, anywhere that they can follow along with you there?
1: Yep. On Instagram, I am at Mindfully And that's where I post most of my content there.
0: Great. And we'll link all of that in the show notes so people can easily navigate to you. Thank you so much for taking the time today.
1: Thank you, Erica. I appreciate it.
0: Is it any wonder that we struggle with our transition into motherhood? When we really take a step back in a bird's eye view of all the different things that are going on during this time, it's easily one of the most stressful times in a person's life. I actually remember a professor of mine saying when I was in school that families with young children and new children in the postpartum are in crisis. It is a time of crisis for many families in how they navigate and adjust. But when we look around and this is just expected of us and we don't know what our baseline should be or whether what we are experiencing is normal or not, we just fall into a thought trap of assuming that we are flawed in some way, if we are struggling or we can't keep up and don't realize that there is help or support and that it doesn't have to feel this way. We have a Canadian and US team that serve all over North America. To find out if we're currently serving your location or to request that we add services and expand to where you are, head to momwell.com. That's momwell.com. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where we are being joined by Dr. Dan Singley, helping us understand the invisible load of fatherhood. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com/learningcenter to join the Momwell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies. Head to momwell.com/newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to mom well.